0: Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. You know, I'm glad that you're here today, and um, what a blessing it is uh, to worship the Lord together. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. He inhabits the praises of His people, and, um, you know, it's, uh, I just want to speak to these students that are here for just a moment, if I might. Um, Uh, Welcome new and returning students. What a blessing it is uh, to have you here with us this morning. And uh, I want to say go crew. um, And uh, thank you. You uh, Matthew Matthew chapter 28, uh, excuse me, chapter 20, verse 28. uh, It says this. It says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, at Memorial, we we take seriously our service to Christ and His body, and we believe that uh, our goal is that everyone uh, should be serving somewhere in the body of Christ, that there is a place uh, for you to serve. And uh, we want to... We're putting together our committees and our our teams for this next year and would like to hear from you, so our staff has put together a survey, and if you will uh, take your phone out and do something on that code there, you can also find it on our website, but uh, if you will click on that code with your camera, it'll bring up the, the survey. You can fill it out and then hit submit, and be sure that even, you need to listen carefully, even if you are currently serving somewhere. Please do this because we want to know if you want to continue serving or if you want to serve somewhere else and, and you know kind of what you enjoy. And uh, we don't want it to be drudgery. We want to, it to be uh, a joy to serve. So please submit that form over the next couple of weeks just so we'll know uh, where you're at. We want to hear from you and we want you to give us this feedback so that uh, uh, we can know where, where you want to serve because uh, we are listening and we want to, we want to plug you in. Um, Today we're going to continue in our sermon series on cultural harmony, and uh, we've been talking a lot about that, of being in the world but not of it, and today we're going to look at what God's Word says about caring uh, for widows, orphans, and aliens, and uh, when I say aliens, I'm not talking about extraterrestrial, okay, I'm, I'm talking about foreigners, I'm talking about strangers in our land. Uh, that kind of thing. And so we are blessed to live in absolutely the greatest country in the world. Even with all the junk, even with all the division, even with all of the things that we are going through right now currently, we live in the greatest country in the entire world. And what what a blessing it is. And the Bible says that to whom much is given, much is required. And so just understand that this morning, if you feel challenged, Uh, by this message you're supposed to to whom much is given much is required okay liberal and progressive ideologies and conservative politics and and religious thinking and national affiliations all these different worldviews are are aggressively competing uh, these days across news sites social media Uh, policy chambers, office cubicles, really across the the fabric of our lives. All these different worldviews come flying in towards us, and we're bombarded by it. Even in this room, we're not immune. But you know, it's nothing new. Because differing worldviews have always competed and polarized groups throughout history. You know, as the worldviews continue to polarize, they're also hardening our listening skills... And, and it causes us to grow deaf on all other viewpoints. And so with all the love and the compassion that I can give this morning, understand we live and we need to be extending grace to others, especially as believers. Don't be upset when lost people act like lost people. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be extending grace to others, And you see, our culture is losing the ability to disagree respectfully and to walk away in friendship. And so, as we we see this, um, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have experienced extraordinary, exceptional grace. I know I have, because I've been forgiven of my sin. That Jesus Christ, as He died on the cross for my sin... He bled out and died and he rose again so that I would not have to pay the debt for my sin. I got something I didn't deserve. We all did. We all received this exceptional grace. And now we live with a worldview that includes tremendous grace. And, And towards others, we must be filled with and live in grace. As I said last week, I'm not a politician. (laughs) I'm not an activist. People want to paint you into one camp or another. I'm not a comedian. You know, I might tell a joke now and then, but they're usually groaners. But I do love Jesus Christ. And I'm a preacher called by God, and my job, my purpose this morning is to proclaim the word of God to this generation even if it may not be popular many times the word of God is not popular so the truth about God and his word is really what matters to me and I I just want to begin with a word of prayer if I might would you pray with me loving father I thank you for each one that is here this morning Thank you for waking us up. Thank you as we worship your son Jesus, as we lift up his name. And Father, your word says that, that you inhabit the praises of your people, and so we know that you are here with us. But merciful God, we must confess that we've not loved you with our whole hearts. We've failed to be an obedient church. We we've, we've, have not done your will and we've broken your laws. Father, we have rebelled against your love and we've not loved our neighbor like we should. We've not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, Father, we pray. Guide us as we study your word. I pray that you would free us to love you in wholeness of heart and in obedience. And Father, to do the things that you care about and that you desire us to do and to be a part of. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for guiding us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, um, let's just say that you're driving down the, the road and you come to this intersection. You're, you're stopped at an intersection. You're sitting there in your car. And someone is standing there next to the the road with a sign that says, Homeless, please help. We've all seen it. And I ask you this question what is your first thought, and what is your first action? You see, because we all respond in some way, to not respond is a response. And I, I, I think that when we see that, sometimes we, we pass judgment or we, we, we don't help or we look the other way and we're guilty of, of having an abundance, but we don't want to take the time to reach out and to do something that maybe God is calling us to. Let, let me press the issue just a little bit further. In your opinion, who is responsible to take care of the most vulnerable around you? And are you content with your response? See, I want to look at God's Word. I want to see what God's Word says about our concern for widows, for orphans, and for those who aren't from here, aliens. Okay, so in Leviticus 24, verse 22, and I've got several verses we're going to look at, but Leviticus 24, verse 22 says this it says there shall be one standard for you it shall be for the stranger as well as the native for I am the Lord your God there shall be one standard (laughs) see we hear a lot these days about social justice we hear a lot about immigration we hear a lot about equality and access to resources about justice and injustice and we hear a whole lot about our rights but things are strangely silent when it comes to our responsibilities you know I'm right you know what I'm saying is the truth we don't hear a whole lot about what our responsibility is what we don't hear much about is biblical justice Who's talking about what God says justice is? I mean, what does God have to say about widows and orphans and aliens? In Exodus chapter 22, verse 21 and following, it says this. God says, you shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. You can afflict, excuse me, if you afflict him at all and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry and my anger will be kindled and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. It's pretty strong words from God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17. It says, you shall not pervert the justice of do an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field... You shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan and for the widow in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan and for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan and for the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. I mean, this is the word of God. This is huge because so many times we think it's just about us. But that's not what God's word says. We need to lift our heads. We need to lift our eyes. See, even the prophets of of ancient Israel were clear. Israel was to show generous concern for the weakest and the most vulnerable in society. <laughs> see, in the language of their day, the weak and vulnerable were identified in three groups: the widows, the orphans and the aliens. The, the, those uh, refugees, the, the resident non-Israelites, those aliens, the strangers, if you will, the foreigners. But you see, these groups, they had no right to own land in Israel. They had no claim on the land and therefore they were marginalized economically. They were marginalized socially. They were marginalized politically. And they had few legal rights and even fewer economic rights and no political standing whatsoever. So whether it came to a time of an economic boom or whether it was a time of, you know, a a bust, these groups were the first people to be tossed in the dumpster like garbage they were the ones who were uh, subjected and and oppressed by society because they were the first ones that couldn't hang with the rest of the people even in the best of times daily life was, was precarious the widow, the orphan, the alien they would be the first one to starve they would be the one who was prosecuted the first one to be prosecuted for minor offenses And they would definitely and ultimately be the first ones to die. Hey, they're not an Israelite. Why should I care? Sometimes people have that attitude today. They're not an American. So why should I care? See, the prophets such as Amos and Micah and Isaiah, they were sensitized to the plight of these groups. And and, and because they preserved in Israel's memory... (laughs) their stay in Egypt where they were if you remember the Hebrews themselves had been aliens they had been sojourners there they traveled through there they they became slaves to the Egyptians (laughs) they were without legal standing they were the lowest economic and social and political class in Egypt the Hebrews they were the disposable people if you will (laughs) their life was hard Their life was violent and their life was hungry. And God is reminding them, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what I did for you. Don't forget that I heard your cries and I came and I rescued you out of that. In understated terms, the Bible says that Israel's time there, their situation was was bitter but notice the character of god notice god's character i mean alongside the collective memory of this hard slavery in egypt the prophets also preserved the memory of the lord's attention to their cries for those that were oppressed and powerless and hopeless slaves in egypt Israel learned that God hears the cries of those who are marginalized and those who are oppressed. This became one of Israel's first confessions about the character of the Lord their God. I mean, Moses reminded Israel in Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, and following it says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords, the great the mighty and the awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. (laughs) It's the fundamental character of God to protect and love these from these groups, the, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger in the land. In other words, God's character is evident in this divine concern for those who are vulnerable, those who are down and out, those who are easily oppressed. And for its part, Israel, as God's chosen people, was really to embody God's concern. They were supposed to embody that. They were supposed to live that out. They were supposed to be the the physical and visible representation of God's character in the world so that they could be a blessing to all nations, a light to all nations. For example, every third year, the entire tithe was to be set aside to provide for these groups, the widows, the orphans, and the aliens. The Sabbath rest was to be granted to slaves and aliens along with others. And part of the harvest was to be left in the fields to provide food for the poor. And justice was to be executed for the widow, the orphan, and the alien. Deuteronomy 24. So in in this book of Deuteronomy, there's a definite tilt in God's favor towards those who are most vulnerable. And just in case you haven't got the message yet, it says all that deny justice to the widow, the orphan, and the alien are cursed. All who deny justice to them. See, what the Scriptures proclaim is that Israel, as the people of God, they had a vocation, they had a a calling, they had a job. They were called by God to be a community in which the weakest, the most vulnerable, and the easiestly consigned to the garbage heap of society are to be the recipients of special attention. We all like to feel special, don't we? See, God's looking out for those who are less fortunate, those who have had a hard, uh, violent past. They're to be protected and provided for and sheltered. He says not even any strings attached. Just do it because I am God and I'm watching (laughs) See, we don't like this. We don't like this because it messes with our sense of fairness. We feel like somehow maybe the guy at the intersection, he got that way on his own. That somehow he deserves what he's got. But what we fail to realize is that reason that we have what we have is because we are blessed by God. God. You don't deserve anything that you have. Oh, well, I worked for it, Brother Ridge. Yes, you did. But who gave you the oxygen in your lungs to do that job? Who gave you the mental capacity to do that? Who gave you the physical strength to get up each day and go do that? It was the Lord, your God. We don't deserve anything that we have. I'm not even going to put aside the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and he died for me. Even while we were sinners, even when we didn't know we needed Jesus, he died for us. Even when we hadn't a clue that what we needed was Jesus Christ, he went to the cross, he took our sins, and he died so that we could be redeemed for all eternity. You and I did not deserve that. But we're the free recipients of that. And because of that, it allows us to walk in grace with those around us. See, understand, let's not forget where we came from. Let me mention identity and vocation here. The tragedy is that Israel did not live up to this vocation. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And the prophets made that abundantly clear. For the prophets said, this isn't a side issue. This isn't something on the periphery. This is something that should be a main focus. It should be the the, the main core of our identity and our vocation. But you see, Israel's amnesia from where they came from. They forgot who they were and who they belonged to. They forgot where they came from. They forgot their own experiences as slaves in Egypt. And they also failed to recognize the deep commitment of God to those who are marginalized, led to the oppression of the poor and the dispossessed. In other words, they began to oppress those in their society who were weak and vulnerable, both Israelite and non Israelite. See, according to the prophets, This was endangering Israel's covenant with God. And this is huge because they were God's chosen people and he called them out and he chose them to be a light to the nations, to be different from the pagan nations around them, to honor God and to do what God asked them to do. And they failed to do it. And it was the warning that Amos gave and he sounded when he, when he confronted Israel. In fact, the overwhelming mistreatment and disregard for Israel's weakest compelled Amos to announce God's judgment. The end has come upon my people, Israel. Amos chapter 8, verse 2. See, it was this injustice that prompted Isaiah to sing a song of parody, a love song concerning Israel's vineyard, the Lord's vineyard, Israel. And and, and that ends with the promise that the vineyard itself will be destroyed. See, many people today, they they discount God's word as being old-fashioned. Or not applicable for today. Well, that was written a long, long time ago. And they, they count it up and they, 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 they act like it's, it's something old-fashioned, but so that we don't dismiss this simply as some Old Testament mumbo-jumbo. These are God's words. Amen. And God's words stand forever. Remember also that in Luke's gospel, Jesus introduced his mission with the announcement that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor, to the imprisoned, and the sick. And that according to Luke, Jesus spent the vast majority of his time in his ministry among those who were marginalized. It was to the weak, it was to the poor, it was to the sinners that Jesus devoted much of his attention and it was these same disenfranchised people who responded most readily to the gospel. <laughs> it was these kind of people that responded most readily to the gospel. See, we don't have a problem. <laughs> the problem that we have, I should say, is love. We don't love others like we love ourselves. When we read Luke with eyes open to the social status of those Jesus interacted with, we learn that his ministry was largely directed toward those who had little influence or wealth in the community of his day. So I ask the question, are they, are they others or are they our neighbors? Are these groups of people that we're talking about Those most vulnerable, those that are weak, those that are poor, are they other people or are they our neighbors? But what does all this have to do with us as a Christian? See, I think the general tone of Scripture compels us to recognize that Christian concern for the most vulnerable in our world is not peripheral, it's not a side to our faith, it's not an optional upgrade. It's what we do. It's who we are. Instead, it's the very foundation of our Christian faith that leads us to active concern. See, people would love to have a salvation. A salvation that didn't cause you to have to change your lifestyle. Now let me just add Jesus to my life and and everything is good. But that's the rub. I mean, you run around evangelizing people simply on the basis that they can take Jesus and they can go to heaven when they die, you're going to get a lot of takers. But when you start talking about a transformed life, when you start talking about caring about what God cares about, when you get active in the things that God is doing in our world, it'll transform your life. We don't want transformation, all we want is cheap salvation. But there's no such thing as cheap salvation. There's no such thing as cheap grace. See, when you bring people to the responsibility to live in service and obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're going to get a lot of people who run away. Who say, leave me alone, preacher. Don't get in my head. I got my life figured out and I don't want anybody messing with it. But the reality is, is Jesus didn't come in just to jump on board with you. Jesus came in to take over. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. So you're going to get a lot of people who run away because they want to be in control. They want to be the boss because we are a nation of control freaks. But you see, a core of our mission is found in our service and advocacy for the widow, the orphan, and the alien among us. If we neglect the poor, and hear what I'm saying, I'm almost done if we neglect the poor, our worship, our worship and our piety, our sense of, 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 of righteousness with God, our piety will ring hollow, just as Israel's worship rang hollow in the time of these prophets, Amos Micah and. Isaiah. So we need to ask ourselves today, who are the widows, the orphans, and the aliens in our society? Who are the most vulnerable and who are marginalized and most easily marginalized in our society? We may see them as outsiders, intruders, or others. But look at the language that we as a society use. Look at those who are often viewed as being a little less human listen for language that strips them of their dignity as human beings because it's these people whom god views with special concern and so should we see what we learn from the bible is that the quality of our society is not judged by its wealth It's not judged by its power. It's not judged by its affluence. But rather by the way it treats or mistreats those who have the least. The least influence. The least resources. The lowest standing in the court of law. See, according to Jesus, we will be judged by how we deal with the least of these. In Matthew 25, he makes that pretty clear. You see, our worship and our praises to God sound like clanging cymbals when our neighbors are hungry, they're homeless, or they're incarcerated. Oh yeah, we can praise God. We can praise God. We can praise God that we're not like them. But by the grace of God, there go I. Apart from God's grace, that's me. And we need to have grace to extend to them when we see them. When they come before us. When we recognize what is going on. And if the prophets are to be believed, if Jesus Christ is to be believed, a society that mistreats its widows, orphans, and aliens will not endure. God will not allow it. Because it is the character of God to care for those most vulnerable. One last scripture and I'll be done. James 1 26 and 27. It says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, if our tongue is not controlled, let me say that again. If our tongue is not controlled, then our religion is in vain. If our tongue is not controlled, the heart is not transformed, no matter how many prayers, no matter how much knowledge, no matter how many church endeavors we engage in, it doesn't matter. It's futile and it's worthless religion if our tongue is not controlled. See, people can spend their life in a religion that's absolutely useless, absolutely futile, accomplishing nothing. And religion that doesn't transform the heart is a useless religion. So a proper reaction to the word of God is is to receive the word and apply the word without deception. Put the word to work in your life, in your heart, without selfishness. See, true religion is demonstrating love and compassion towards others. It's love. That's it. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. Pure is the word clean. Undefiled is the word unstained. are synonyms to point that the purest kind of worship, the purest kind of religion, is that of loving God and loving our neighbor. It's not what you do on the outside. It's what comes from the heart. I mean, Jesus said in John 13, by this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But understand this. It says pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. Our Father. (laughs) You see, it's God's evaluation. The genuineness of our religion, of our worship, is determined by the opinion of God. In other words, it's what God thinks that counts, not what I think. Because on a good day, I can be pretty pious, I can be pretty religious, I can be pretty holy, and you can too. But it's God's opinion of your life that really matters. So some application here. I ask you this question, how will my actions and attitudes change today? In light of what we've heard from God's word, how will my actions and attitudes change today? I mean, think of this. What is one thing, one thing I can do to be a person of biblical justice? What can I change in my life? What can I do? I'm going to ask you, if you would, just bow your heads for just a moment. And with your head bowed for just a, a moment here, you know, the message, of course, is simple. It's direct. It's clear from the Word of God. But only God knows how it is received in your heart. Only God knows your heart. And I know that most of us probably received this Word as it ought to be received with thanksgiving because we know that things are right between us and God. And I thank God that so many in our church have a a, a great relationship with the Lord. But I also know there may be some that when they take this inventory of their life, that they might come up short. But I want to encourage you, don't guess at it. If there's any doubt, any doubt at all, open your heart up to the Lord. Open your heart to Christ. Invite him in. Let him forgive you of your sin give you a new birth, a new heart, a new spirit, and create and bring new, a new creation for his glory. See, I trust that you will ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in that. Father, I thank you for this time together. I pray that, that Father, that you would honor your word, Father, that you would show us what you want us to do in light of the Bible, your word to us. Father, that you would transform our lives, that today you would move us to where you desire us to be moved. Father, that we would be an obedient church under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That we would do those things, Holy Spirit, that you put on our heart that we would respond when you call us to respond. And Father, that we would bring glory to you through the Son, through your Holy Spirit in everything that we say and think and do. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be glorified in this moment, that as we glorify the Son and the Father, that you would move mightily among us And God, that we would be forever changed because of our time together with you today. Guide us in Jesus' name we pray, amen.